As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hello and welcome to The Ruck, where we are reeling from a, the, the, the seismic sporting event of the weekend, which was not Tommy Fury beating Jake Paul over in Saudi Arabia. It was round three of the Six Nations Championship, which I think is building up to be one of the great additions. I'm joined today by Alan Dimmock, editor of Rugby World magazine, who is looking a lot lighter this week because he's got his edition off to print. Yes. And by Stephen Jones, rugby correspondent for the Sunday Times. Gents, how are your weekends? Um, testing. The whole week was testing, as as mm. as as everyone found in in any capacity concerning the England the Wales England game. It was a horrible week. You sense that um, the Welsh love affair was with rugby was was occasionally at stake. I mean, I'm sure that sure they'll get it back, but it was a really horrible grind of a week. Uh, 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 the, the match, actually, I think if you'd been through the week, Alex, you would have found the match not as bad as a lot of people thought it was because I, I just thought this is going to be t- terrible. There'll be no noise at all. The whales won't be up for it or anything. So it wasn't too bad. But um, it was it was rescued a bit by a great game yesterday. Yeah, you had a quiet couple of days in Cardiff, did you? No. Probably didn't hit the town at all? Not really, no. It's a big town to hit as well. Well, it's funny that because I did when I left the ground. Well, sorry, when I finished work, that you go out into Cardiff on on Saturday night. It's absolutely unbelievable. You've never seen anything like it. I mean, there's about 400 police there, all standing in a corner, just thinking, "Well, we, there's no way we can get control of this." It was, it, it was great afterwards, but um, not so good during. Al, how was your weekend? Yeah, I mean, plenty of entertaining stuff in there. Um, well. I think we're going to be starting with... I might be a, have a slight disagreement with Steve on this. I think I might rather use a jalapeno eye drops than watch that game back again. But plenty of entertainment to be had over the weekend. Scotland will come to in a bit, but they brought they brought the drama and, and the thrills and spills again over in Paris. Yeah, absolutely. And it, uh, two red cards after 11 minutes. Yeah. And you thought, what the hell is going to happen here? And actually, I'd, uh, I spoke to some people out in France to get the French point of view on what, what the game was, because sometimes we get a bit caught up in the Anglophone side of things and talking to each other. And they were surprised at what Scotland threw at them. They came through, Scotland left with, with nothing from Paris, but the French are sort of asking a few questions about themselves now as they head to England. And from what I've heard from some people, England's one that they've had circled on the calendar for, for months and months. Did anyone else make the mistake of watching Tommy Fury against Jake Paul? Absolutely not. Yeah. You did? Yeah, I did, yeah. What did you think of it? Oh, it was a great fight. <laughs> okay, you didn't watch it. <laughs> I, uh, having been away for a couple of days, I got strong-armed by my 12-year-old into ordering it on pay-per-view. And I, against all my better instincts, because I'm not, I wasn't interested in it, it's also way too late for a 12-year-old. But anyway, so I was sitting there with him on the sofa, catching up about the weekend, listening to his football tales and then uh order order the fight and he and we enjoyed the the undercard and then he was asleep before the ring walks and i tried to wake him up and he wouldn't wake up and you were asleep after three rounds so there i'm sitting on the sofa watching a fight that i'm not interested in didn't want to pay for and my son is fast asleep on the sofa so more for me i need to i need to read some more parenting books i think probably but uh and then then i started watching the cricket and i was to bed way later than i should have been so that was not the highlight of the weekend but 
the rugby was excellent. And, and coming up on, on the ruck, we'll start in Cardiff, where we have some differing opinions about whether or not it was a good game. Right, England. Two wins from three now under Steve Borthwick. Steve, you thought they played well. Al, you couldn't bear to watch that game again. <laughs> Steve, let's start with you. Just, just They played well in the context. Everything in that game had to be seen in the context. Welsh performance in the context of being deserted by their, by their own and the sheer emotion... Three training sessions they missed. Three, no, no, as we all know in the current era, if someone misses two minutes of one training session, it's a bloody disaster. They missed three sessions. They only had one meaningful one. And um, the, 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 the morale was sickening all around the country, I can tell you that. Um, well, OK, let, let's start with Wales. So, so, what I'm, so what I'm saying is, everything's got to be seen in that context. We, we, we will go back to England because they're making, they're making steps forward. Whether or not they're baby steps, Alex, we'll find out when they play the two top teams, who are, I think, even though Scotland were reasonably close yesterday, I still think France and uh, Ireland are way ahead of all the others. By that standard... Uh, England still got a lot to do, but all they can do is improve gradually, but but convincingly as they go along, which is what they did. So, so let's just, let's start with Wales because I was in Cardiff on Tuesday of last week. Bumped into Ken Owens in in the lobby of their hotel. He'd already lost his voice on the Tuesday from from all the meetings and all the discussions. By Wednesday night, once the the, the players had really they, they'd won their victory, not as complete a victory as they were after, but they'd made their point. That the Welsh Rugby Union had had to to back down on and, and revise contractual policies. He looked almost broken on the Wednesday night. By his Friday press conference, he, he looked exhausted. The emotional toll and strain on those players has, was, was immense, actually. And, and, and I think that the stance that England took, the England players and management took, in praising what the Welsh players stood for, was genuine. Was genuine. They, was, they really felt for them. It was genuine, and it was very welcome because it was the first blow for love of rugby that we'd heard all week. You know, we're talking about Ken Owens here. The people I saw after the uh, after the announcement that they'd won some sort of quite, quite pyrrhic victory, you almost thought, God, what would you have looked look, look like? Had you lost? Mm. And the game was off. I mean, they they just looked terrible. And I don't think in their hearts they thought it was a victory. It was just something where they had to go to defend their right to work yeah. to work in rugby. The context in this game is fascinating because you have that immediate background that was it always going to impact upon Wales. England Wales started this championship in a similar place. Three wasted years of player development and, and having to build in a short space of time to find an identity and find themselves through this Six Nations championship. It looks to me like game on game, England are finding that shape. Wales, on the other hand, are veering from... They don't know whether to stick with the the old guard or trust the kids and they're, they're, they're trying... Gatlin's trying everything, and and with all of that plus everything that happened in the week, I don't think we 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 really could have expected anything from them, could we? Al? Yeah, and I hundred percent agree with what Steve's saying about the context and the sheer weight of circumstance that had come down. I, I had a quick chat with Ken Owens through the week as well, and he 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 just sounded absolutely broken. And he's done some stuff for us at rugby world of the past, and he's he's spoken about captaincy and and what it means. And with his first ever game as captain, he said he did well. He, he actually was surprised by himself. He kept the lid on it emotionally when the anthem came because it was just a job to do. You, I watched it. I made a point of watching him do, during the anthem, and he was belting it out. Mm-hmm. And but that emotional energy could only carry you through so far before you go right we're back to the rugby here Steve's right very few training sessions what's the game plan and with the exception of an interception breaking through Wales just didn't look dangerous and they did look spent there was a period uh, there was a bit right at the the end of the first half 
where Lewis Ludlam, who I think has been excellent for England Agreed. throughout the Six Nations, by the way, went in to steal a ball and Alan Wynne-Jones was the nearest man to him uh, from memory and Alan Wynne-Jones just couldn't get anywhere. He just looked spent at the end of that half and Lewis Ludlam had a free and you find yourself thinking I don't blame you lads I don't blame you so what I'm interested to get from both of you actually is is what was the atmosphere like in the stadium because the commentators on telly kept talking about how it's it, it was waning and it was it wasn't what we'd come to expect and I know that the roof was open but what did it feel like in this because it felt like it picked up a bit in the second half well it wasn't what we'd come to expect I don't think I, I, there was the usual pre-match noise and ceremony and, and it felt like a big occasion uh, but as as the first half went on, it got quieter and quieter, and and part of that is the roof being open. But the roof's been open there a lot, and it's of it course still be a raucous place. And um, listen to to Chris Ashton on on another pod last week talking about when the roof's closed and welds are on the front foot, it can become suffocating on the field because you can't hear anybody. Well, it wasn't that at all, and I think a lot of that was to do with how England played in that first half an hour in particular. The general a sense of the game, people's memory of the game focuses on the second half when it was tighter on the scoreboard than than the game should have been. And I think maybe the maybe the tension of it like engaged people second half because Which England, it always should by the way. England were one mistake away from falling behind. You know, they they'd already gifted one try. They should never have lost that game. And actually they were front foot early on and I felt that quietened the crowd and I think maybe Wales didn't really give them much to grab onto and there was this sort of Brief spike after half time when Reece Samick scored, but England punctured it again by going up the other end. I thought they, England played that really cleverly. I thought. Well, again, I, I'm going to go off the field, Alex. Um, everyone there. I mean, if you'd read the, uh, well, which of course you, you did read all, all the um, the social media, all the media, the whole week. What those people who went there hated was the fact they just given hundred quid to those idiots in charge. Uh, if I had to pay to go in, which I didn't, and that, and that is a privileged position, I wouldn't have bothered. I would not have gone and paid good money to that lot. Yeah, that's, it was very clear, being down there in the week, writing about this for for a week, that the disconnect that exists, and if the disconnect had existed in England in the autumn, we felt it, we saw it at Twickenham. The fans had lost faith in, in what they were there to support. I, I watched people come up to you in the press box, Alex, bang on your table and say, make, people, make sure people hear about this. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what happened, and it's and it, and that has hit that's hit Wales this week too. So so the atmosphere wasn't as as intimidating. It wasn't as no, suffocating sure, as wasn't. it can be. And, of course it wasn't. And, and, and I, I do agree with what you say. I think there's there was a uh, a, a distance between the, the the Welsh public and, and and the union which impacted it. But I think England also affected that by how they started the game. And and I think watching it back, so you can't bet. I wouldn't watch it back for entertainment purposes. You're right, Al. I wouldn't. But I watched it back on Sunday to sort of reinforce some of the some of the feelings I had leaving the game, which was it wasn't a thing of beauty. This this wasn't the prettiest game of rugby you've ever seen. But back to context, where England started from, when we remember we think about how England played in the autumn and how they week on week have layered elements onto their game. They scored three really good tries. In different ways they were they were good tries, but they, they scored three really good tries. They attacked with purpose in that first half hour or so. But all contained within a strategy of we are not running from our own half here because this is a game England could not afford to lose. They weren't going to take risks unnecessarily. And as Wales, as the kicking game began, as the pressure game took hold in that 
third quarter in particular, England were just not prepared to run run from deep, and it became a battle of wills. And, and it, and it, it was wasn't very that. much a case of have you got your ladder with you, Freddie? Because you're going skywards, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Well, and but until Dan Bigger came on. That, yeah. they, they targeted arguably, probably the best aerial fullback in in the world at the moment, and it was yep. a, it was a beautiful day mm-hmm. for him, and and he it it showcased his skills wonderfully, and it, so it wasn't a thing of beauty at all. A mate of mine who was there, who was already hacked off at spending 115 quid to be in the back row of the stadium, said it's the worst live game I've ever seen. Well, it wasn't, but it wasn't a thing of beauty. But England, that's not what England are here for. It, it, England are in a position at the moment where they're going to play. The kind of rugby that can that can get them the victories, get them the results they need, and allow them to layer on improvements week on week. And I think if you look at if you look at some of the key areas, I, we, the set piece wasn't an, an enormous factor on on Saturday, the, the scrum in particular. But elsewhere, the, England's defence has improved week on week, and their attack is improving week on week. It'll be interesting to, to about the scrum because France are coming yeah. up. And there are a lot of questions. We'll get onto it when we talk about Scotland and France, but there are a lot of question marks in France about what's happening with the French scrum right now. Yeah, I think that um, um, we can leave. You know, we, we can leave constructive talk about English weaknesses t- t- just to, for a few minutes. But uh, they are much better. And for me, the shape of the team is totally different. Till uh, now, they brought in a, a, a proper inside centre who's actually played better than any anyone had a right to expect him. He's been mucked around, but he's come in. He look. He's got that edge of sort of a sort of constructive arrogance about him. He's got some power. He's he, he, and. And he is coming. Uh, he is coming through before our very eyes. Uh, that Ollie Lawrence in the centre. And I don't care what anyone says. I don't care if anyone thinks we got a witch hunt or I got a witch hunt against Marcus Smith. It is totally different with Farrell ten and a proper inside centre. They've got shape immediately, which they didn't have or they haven't had when Marcus Smith has been ten. Well, actually, I think to jump off what Steve said is, is having Lawrence. I mean, Slade gives you so many different options um, with his boots as well. But it's questions because what where Scotland have been good the Six Nations is there are a lot of questions about what happens with the, their two centres. Because they have certain strengths, but you know that Tui Pilotu can run, but he can also dink it through. You know that Hugh Jones can run lines and not get the ball and happily run that line over and over again until he gets it, and then it's try time. With England, with this this, this centre pairing, there are question marks. Now, I know that you were interested in this. Is How how many how much are we willing to forget? And I, I think Owen Farrell gets a surprising amount of stick for such a phenomenal player. And I think when his career is done, we'll all look back and go, geez. You know, we were lucky to see that guy play, and there's a reason why every coach and every player wants to play with this mm-hmm. guy. However, at test level, it can't be ignored that in front of posts at the moment, he just doesn't seem to have his mojo. Now, is that a concern because the shape and the attack on the field that can potentially lead to tries, which are more valuable, is getting there? And do you go, okay, two out of six ain't bad actually in that context in terms of kicks for pole, or do you go right? It would be a lot better if this was better. I don't think you could have. A f- a goal kicker operating at 47%, which is what he is operating at at the moment in the Six Nations. I, I had a look yesterday. His percentage across the season, England and Saracens, is 77 which is in line with his, his worst seasons uh, as a pro. But he is, he was, he's always been a clutch kicker. And there's something, they were all fading to, to the right. It, it, but it is yeah. a concern. And I don't think we're going to see Marcus Smith, Owen Farrell again. If we were to see, I'd be stunned if we did. If we were to see George Ford... Owen Farrell, Ollie Lawrence. George Ford is a goal kicker, but he's always ceded the kicking to Farrell. Everyone's always ceded the kicking to Farrell. 
there is a question there because in a tight game, you can't be leaving 10 points out on the field. And he's been doing that three games in a row now. That There is, there is an issue there. To leave 10 points on the field, uh, it, it was a big issue because yesterday in that game, and we, it's almost difficult to remember this now, for a long, long time, England were only five points yeah. ahead. Yeah. And even though they were dominant, if you've got um, uh, Rhys Samet in the team, you, your team doesn't have to play well for him to score a try. So, and that is where they, they, it could have cost them. But I tell you what, you mentioned Wood clutch kicker there, Alex. I've been sitting at games when Farrell's played for Saracens and England. And the Lions. And, and the Lions. And you're sitting there as he's shaping for the clutch kick. And you tell yourself, there's no one I would rather be out there for this with this kick. So he's got some technical thing because, as, as we said, the kick, the, the, especially the, the, the kick for the last uh, after the last try, it looked okay. Then veered way to the right. Mm. Well, if you put hooking it, it almost got to come this way. So something is not quite right. But it didn't seem to me to be something that he couldn't put right. Just to go back, Alan, to your point about Tuipulotu and, and yours, Steve, about Oli Lawrence. I think there's, I think we're only seeing a, a portion of what Oli Lawrence can do at the moment in, in this England. Midfield, and that might be because he's in the twelve role rather than being being given a bit of space wider out. Yeah, I mean we've seen him on the wing quite a bit, popping up in, in phase play on the wing for for Bath. So, but he's not a, he's not just a basher. That's my point. Yeah. He's being used at the moment in the way that England are currently yeah. playing, which is fairly stripped stripped back style. Only only playing in the opposition half, he's being used as a as a to give some punch. He's actually there's more to him than that. He's got he's got wonderful feet. He's got good hands. England aren't yet aren't yet aren't yet allowing him almost to to, to be the full player he can be. Which which I'm, I'm not saying as a criticism. I'm saying as yeah, actually there's more to come. That's, there. that's circumstance because within games, for example, Absolutely. players talk about how they'll do one thing over and over again until that's what the defence expect, and then they'll use. It's kind of the, that on a larger scale with England. You yeah. know, it, it, you'd, you'd if you're an England fan, you'd hope that that builds over time. I'd say the other area that I think is is interesting, and we mentioned possibility that at some point Steve Borthwick might opt to to pick George Ford and Owen Farrell. I, I don't know whether France is necessarily the game for it because you've got a you'd have a bigger defensive midfield with the other three. But England's back row is fascinating now because it looks like they've they found the shape. For me, I thought Alex Dombrant needed a big game in an arm wrestle to prove himself, and I thought he delivered that. On, on Saturday. I think uh, once he got that turnover at the, yeah. near the start of the game, that was him just going, right, okay, I'm I mean, here to play. Yeah, and they've got, the way they played with the two flankers, Ludlam has been outstanding this Six Nations and, and, and Jack Willis we know about. Tom Coy's come back, Courtney Laws is fit. There's, they've got options there, but it feels like there's a shape building in the back row as there is a shape building to their attack in their midfield. I, I agree with two thirds of that. I don't think Don Brandt has proved himself yet. I, I think if he does so against, um, he, he is not the the, mo, the the a big hulking brute for a start. He's a big boy, puts himself about, but um, I don't think that he's proved himself and 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 can't. But he's got two great chances to do so now. I'm sure. I'm sure he'll play. Back row selection is fascinating, as you said, because Courtney and, and Curry coming back into it. What they do lack there is a line-out man, the, the team that played on Saturday. It's very mm. difficult to lift Jack. They lack a line-out there, and it's always nice to have a third option, a bit like Tipperick can be, although I don't think he should be in the team, but it's always nice to have a third object, um, option and someone at the tail. And I don't think a line-out of a toady in Chesham, just almost on their own, is, is going to be effective against a great side. So so the back row selection, as you said, is is incredibly um, exciting or and interesting. And I think Laws has got a great chance of playing blindside flanker in this tournament. 
the way that England are trying to play offensively with the speed of ball that they're they're after, which they did generate early on, and they generated for really well for for the third try scored by Ollie Lawrence, two point three second rucks in that in that phase. Thirteen of the fifteen players touched the ball. That was that was a real hallmark of where they're trying to get to. But the the two flankers are are so important to to securing that that quick ball they operated brilliantly together offensively and, and defensively I sense at the moment that England's priority is on that more than having the third line out jumper and I, I do agree with what you're saying about Don Brandt too I felt that he needed a big game in an art in a in a tough arm wrestle but everything steps up hmm. now for, for England and, f- and for these players with with France coming to Twickenham and, and, and then heading off to Ireland coming up next on the ruck we'll we'll head off into the other the other two games of, of the Six Nations uh, will we'll start with the, the thrilling game in Paris. I think Scotland heading over to France. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Right, over to Paris now. France 32, Scotland 21. Al, we've got to start with you. What a, what a game, what drama, thrills and spills. We end up thinking, I bet Scotland have ended up thinking, God, we could, we could have won that game. Well, and can... yet they were 19-0 down. Uh, yeah, 19-0 down. But by the end of the game, I mean, for a start, to come back from 19-0 down, you have to say respect and it's funny I saw a, I saw a social media post from Nick DeLuca <laughs> there was now this is going to be a bit of rah-rah passion but it was a it was the game wasn't even finished yet and he was just saying like whatever happens in this game thanks to for Scotland to, with playing this level of ambition because he felt that he'd come through a generation where it was like don't make mistakes that was the approach whereas now it's swaggering let's try some things so to come back from 19-0 down you got to say well played but you can pinpoint the exact moment where it was lost and it was an overthrown line-out. And in fact, it wasn't just an overthrown line-out. It was a line-out where the jumper went up uncontested and, oh, oh wait, he's already in the air, get the ball in, absolutely fire it, went over the back. Mm. France took it and then it was just sustained pressure and it felt like that try at the end was pretty much inevitable by that point. And it's, what a swing, because Scotland went from potentially they could they could nick the game to coming away with nothing, France get a try bonus, no bonus point for Scotland, and what impact's that going to have at the end? Now, you know, for Scotland, that'll be a case of what could have been, which seems very negative because some of the rugby they played was exceptional, and mm. people in France, having spoken to a few folk in France to this morning, are like, okay, there's this is we've we've learned something from this because Scotland were able to hurt us and maybe. That wasn't quite what they were expecting, so all hands to the tiller for England. T- tell me if I'm applying a narrative here after the event, but Finn Russell was extraordinary yesterday, but was he freed up to be 
as extraordinary as he was by throwing the intercept and then being 90-0 down. And and is it a case, it feels a case that Scotland played, are almost playing better when they're when they're trailing or when, I know they were winning at half-time against Wales, but Wales are, you know, how the expectations were probably higher. It almost feels like they need, they're better chasing than they are setting the pace. I'm not so sure about that because, if only just because Finn Russell's the exact same person, whether he's winning or whether he's losing, or whether it's a crunch moment or not, he's he's blessed and cursed with this ability to sort of block out whatever else is going on and just go, well, I want to try this. I've seen something. I'm going to give that a go. Maybe for the others, potentially. Sorry to keep talking about other countries, but I spoke to someone in South Africa as well about the perception over there because they're in the same World Cup group. Mm. And amazingly, and this blows my mind, is they're a little bit more worried about... Some of them are a little bit more worried about Scotland than they are Ireland. Despite the fact they haven't been Ireland since 2016, they are seem to be more worried because Scotland can expose some things and South Africans like to be underdogs... Mm. Scotland will be underdogs for that first game of the Rugby World Cup without a doubt they'll have had a run in so it's interesting that mentality because I I think maybe a couple of years ago yes chasing would have been that but I think for now it's all about pride and with Finn Russell just wind him up and let him go anyway so for example you wouldn't say did he do you think he was affected by that intercept no I don't think he was but it almost it, it felt a bit like when he came on for the Lions in the third test there wasn't any nothing pressure, to lose. Nothing to lose anymore. Now he's probably not any different, but the circumstances meant that it, there was no. I guess there's no yeah. downside in trying it. Well, hey, this is the same guy that had an argument with Gregor Townsend in the changing room at Twickenham and completely turned that game on its head, yeah. and we got one of the most bananas games of rugby we have, we've ever seen. So yeah, there maybe is something in that. The thing is with Finn Russell, when you spent Saturday craning your neck as both sets of uh, both scrum halves putting every ball up in the air, it is a sheer joy to go and watch Finn Russell play. He created some tries. Uh, when he fired out that pass, y- 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 your heart stopped for a minute. It was like a, a, an Exocet missile. And I tell you what, when that ball was in the air... If you'd given the chance to contemplate, you would have said someone's going to score here, and it could easily be the other. It could have been easy at the other end, yeah. Because yeah. if it had been an inch shorter, someone was on it. Yeah. And, and you know what? It is a joyous thing to watch him play. And I thought the Scottish midfield. I mean, I seen John Rutherford, Jim Rennick, Alistair Cranston. They were they were pretty good. Scottish midfield on the day was one of the best I've seen. I think Tupelotto, as, as Alf says, is not just a, 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 a thud and blunder guy. Uh, Hugh Jones, I thought, was was absolutely excellent. Uh, they, they looked like a, a, a growing team. The trouble is, you really love to grow quicker by winning a game like that. Mm. But it was, Fran- it was France away, and, and, and I think that it is... I don't get the feeling now, oh, Scotland have come up short again, blah, typical. Mm. I don't get that feeling. I think they're coming on. I think they're coming on, and I think they there's some hard nuts in there as well. Yeah, there's much more to them than than Finn Russell, and I'll ask about, oh, yeah. about that in a second. But Will Kelleher, our colleague, is doing the, the Monday Mall, his Monday sort of analysis of the weekend, and I think he's going to be looking at the question of is Finn Russell the best fly half in the world at the moment? If you were picking a, a World 15, is Finn Russell your fly half? I mean, if it depends what you what you want from it. Johnny Sexton with his experience, his game management, Richie Mwanga perhaps, but there aren't there maybe isn't a vintage generation at the moment of of top class tens. If that is that an unfair thing to say, what do you think? I think maybe a little bit because, but I think the thing is is that a lot of the guys you'd say at the top at the moment are custom built for the systems that they're in, mm. and Good Finn point. Russell nice. is yeah. very much. So, for example, if you asked everyone in the global game. All black fans are going to pick one of their tens. Ireland fans are going to pick Sexton, hands down. South Africans probably want Pollard in there. But you went, we got someone to bring off the bench, though. 
Mm. And it's must win. <laughs> I think a huge number of them are going to say Finn Russell. Yeah, I think you're right there. Let's talk about, say, say who's the best, who would be the best man to play for anyone in the world at this moment? It'd be mm. Finn Russell. Because like Brent Bowden Barrett, for instance, very much a Kiwi in the Kiwi style. I'd, I'd have Finn Russell, the most entertaining team in the world, fly half Russell, best team in the world at the moment, fly half Russell. Both. Uh, who who else has been important? I mean, ben White has has been brilliant for them. He's been a revelation. Al, who who else has been important in making the Scotland team tick? Well, I said I think the way that the the backline is constructed, that midfield is is incredible. But Ferguson number eight has been just fantastic. So Rich Richie is almost a known quantity in that you know you're getting minimum seven out of ten from him a game. You know he's just consistent and calm and that's why he's captain and that's probably why he's the captain that Scotland need I think this has been a real coming of age for Ferguson at eight and obviously his brother has become vitally important at tight head but but Matt is just is just playing stuff where for so many years we're going who who you need we talk about having a spine of a team for example and for years with Scotland it was like well who the hell's going at number eight and there's been an awful lot of experiments there but he has become incredibly important there but I just think it's the as well as that, it's the, the manner in which they're going about games without fear because I don't think at any point they looked like they were scared. And we can talk about the red cards if we want. but And maybe maybe that made the game more open. Certainly people in France have <laughs> been talking about... Uh, for example, there's been a narrative in France at the moment of France are playing more rugby than they should because for all the chat about Jouet, this is a pragmatic team. And mm-hmm. when they've done incredibly well, they've been pragmatic. They were dragged into a game there, maybe by circumstance with their own player just losing the plot and going over the top of a ruck when okay. he didn't need to uh, and getting a, a red card. But they were they were dragged into trying to play with the ball a bit more. And Jack Nienaber in South Africa has made this point recently where he would say, we talk about ball and play time as if it's always positive. Sometimes, as we saw <laughs> Wales-England, there's a lot of ball and play time because it's in the sky. Mm-hmm. So let's not get seduced by that and that's a man who knows an awful lot about putting the ball in the sky as well mm. but in this one France got dragged into well we're going to have to chuck it about and the byproduct was was pretty entertaining I think we can all agree so that just talk about France for a second you talked about this this England game coming up in two weeks mm-hmm. as they've had ringed in their diary Sean Edwards made the point at the end of his television interview of saying I'm told we haven't won there since 2008 15, I think it was. 2005. 2005. But that was in the Six Nations because everyone forgets that there was a World Cup warm-up match in 2007 that France won, but who cares about World Cup warm-up matches? So 2005, I beg your pardon, you're right. So it's been ringed in their diary. This for them is big. But there are concerns that they were a juggernaut coming into into this championship. They haven't lost since that Aussie tour in 21. You mentioned the scrum. I'll talk to us about that because they've lost... Antonio, they've now lost Awas. Yeah, and Awas was brought in because he was oh. seen as more more of a, a sure thing in the scrum. Well, he was fighting for his chance to go to, to stay for the Rugby World Cup. Um, that's probably at risk now. Falatea had to play an awful lot of rugby and he really waned at the end of that game. Um, the, the scrum came in peaks and troughs for them and the question mark is now is do they trust him or are they going to have to bring in someone to shore up the scrum because there are real concerns now in France about that area of the set piece and injuries happen you know they could lose Antonio in, in the Rugby World Cup it could not be a how-ass so do they bring in someone like Aldegheri who has been out injured for a while but he played for Toulouse at the weekend and is seen as the form tight head in the league at the moment but hasn't really been fancied so much at test level. Do we, heaven forbid, do you see someone like Rabba Slamani coming out from the cold? A man who's been joking recently about how long it's been since he last wore a French jersey and really fell off the radar. They're going to have to find someone to fit into their system because they need to be prepared. And it short, sort of shows the, the, the area of depth they've got. So 
Falatea has done exceptionally well with ball in hand. He worked away doggedly, but you know he was exposed a little bit against Scotland there. England scrum has its own question marks about it, and then how rabid they may or may not be. But certainly that'll be something that you'd expect someone to try and go for France to sort of see what they're really worth there. At Twickenham, they've always had problems at Twickenham, as we all know. It is a big test for them. They've got to get obviously mentally right, which Sean will probably sort. Um, people are saying now, oh, France, you know, no longer favourites for the World Cup, etc. Um, in terms of the France England game, brilliant test for England because it's going to be that nice graduated step up, step up. Brilliant chance for France to find themselves, but I do think they really got a lot of injury. I, I mean, I know everybody's got injuries, but when you've got Dante and Wocky out they're serious world-class players so I don't think anything that happens at Twickenham is going to affect them in the World Cup they've got Villiers coming back Demba Bamba's almost fit again so the the, the one guy I think who is struggling is Willemser because I thought last year he was the bloody god there but he seems to be going off now like immediately after half time so he doesn't he doesn't look right also I would always try and put pressure on Romain Antamak because I don't think A, I don't think he's a brilliant player he's not in Phil and Russell's class but also so as usual in France, it's the nine that everything revolves around. Dupont uh, used to be the same with all their all their nines, and I think that Antamak finds it difficult to fit in and wonder what he should be doing. Who's in charge? So I would always put pressure on him. I think though the long term indications are that France will be tremendous at the World Cup. They've also lost Anthony Jalonch. We should add. Yeah, who, mm, who yeah. could be gone. Who, who could be gone for the for the yeah. World Cup? He's definitely gone with a, with an ACL, and and he's mm. massive for them in their in their battle. He's been he's been awesome, and in that in that run of dominance that they had, beating everyone who who came to came in their way, um, winning a Grand Slam. Jalonch was was one of the the key men in that pack. Oh, we'll have to bring in Cross then, won't we? Yeah, oh, no, no, what a shocker! Yeah, <laughs> they're, not sure. they're yeah. not sure, but it, it, it builds up as a. I think it plays to that theme that I mentioned at the start of this this championship being just so engrossing every, every game, and the fact that Italy will come on to Italy now, the fact that they are, are testing teams means that that every game is a is a belter every week, and, and England against France in two Saturdays' time, um, so much on the line in that one for both teams. Fascinating. Okay, so let's, let's go over to Rome. <laughs> Great. When, be nice. What? When did we go? Lunch by the Spanish. <laughs> Wait, you Rome. said that. I thought the taxi was outside. Another win for Ireland. They're on the Grand Slam trail, and it was a defeat for Italy. But that was a game of. It came a couple of hours before we we watched the World's England game in Cardiff. That was a game of pace, enterprise, attacking ambition. What another wonderful Six Nations contest. It, it was, and uh, there were times when the, the, the that game was on. You think if Italy can have a good five minutes now, they could win this. Um, but I think. Actually, to be let's be fair for Ireland, it was a game worth winning. It was a game. It was it was a great win for them because they mm. could easily have lost. So much talent in that Italian team. I just wish there's a little bit more steadiness when it comes down to it. You, you didn't think they could run the clock down because they weren't quite powerhouse enough. But you know, we we, we keep on mentioning um, Capuozzo. There's other people out there now as well. There's other backs there. Canoni uh, uh, is a, it looks coming through as a world class forward, and they they have got belief from somewhere. I mean. Obviously, beating Australia gives you belief. Be- uh, beating Wales gives you belief. But th- they have got belief, and this is the most convincing Italian team I've seen since the age of Diego Dominguez and all his great players, Massimo Giovanelli. I, I, I'm disgusted by the lack of uptake I got from my call for Lorenzo Canoni to be called the Florence Delalio. <laughs> <laughs> um, because he he was exceptional, and That's you're right. A cracker. You're right. The 
the Italians are playing some exceptional stuff. I was speaking to producer Alfie about this beforehand, though, and I got some stuff from the guys at Oval Insights, and it's interesting. And this goes to, to narrative, and this actually probably is a feather in the cap for Kieran Crowley, the head coach, and what he's done to transform that team. Because we're all talking about the endeavour going forward that Italy have got, and they've got some fantastic strike runners, and when Seb Negri and Canone are carrying like that, then it gives you front football. Did you realise, though, that seven out of 17 penalties in the opposition half Italy have gone for goal and they have got the they've scored the fewest tries with six and they made the fewest 22 entries with 24 they're actually much more pragmatic than we maybe give them credit for and that's about stability so they're happy to chip away at the chip away at the scoreboard get their opportunities get that front bo- front football and then go for goal and build a score and then see what happens and then when they've got that front football they can unleash these guys so it seems like they're building more of a bigger picture you know rather than just going for one style of rugby they're actually more complex than that that is fascinating and we we spoke to Stephen Varney earlier in the in the Six Nations on this pod about how Crowley's trying to trying to galvanize and give them this identity and and I think we're seeing them grow. I thought, and, and perhaps without throwing everything back to England, the, that England game was a bigger feather in the cap for England than we maybe thought at the time. The way that England shut them down for an hour or so before easing off and, and allowing Italy to, to score a couple. And Steve, your point there, yeah, they made it a game that Ireland had to go and win. Absolutely, absolutely. There, was, there, was, there were no guarantees. And at, at the end, you know, there's a kind of almost like a... When Italy lose, having played well but not really, there's a sort of patronising thing which comes out in the maybe even in us, in the commentators, in the opposition. But there was nothing there. It was like big firm handshakes. Well done, son. We, we, you know, we'll take that victory and go back, and, and go take it back to Dublin. So it was it was tremendous. Look, the, this Six Nations has been wonderful, and not least of the attractions has been how well Italy have competed. Yeah, and now Ireland. We all felt coming in that it was this was Ireland or France, and it would come down to who who won that game between them. I wondered whether Ireland quite had the depth. That, that was my concern about them. That Although it's something that Farrell has been building and he has a system that, that allows that, yeah. I, I felt that France, as you just said, you, you, lose a, you lose your launch, you pick cross. I mean, wow. But Ireland are winning these games without some of their superstar players. Um, they didn't have sex on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Tyg Furlong is, is, is due back, which is, which is well-timed. Yeah, um, Tyg Burns out injured. Tyg, yeah, and, and, and they are demonstrating that and Owen Slot actually wrote a fascinating piece after the last round of matches about how they had this they had this game out in Portugal, fifteen on fifteen, and there was nothing between them between the two teams. They've mm. got they they do have and they are demonstrating a, a capacity to win big games without their usual match winning players. Yeah, and if you rewind back a couple of years, the amount of stick that Andy Farrell was getting for picking guys, and he'd obviously gone I'm going to hold my nerve here and I'm going to play through form until these guys gel and then they're together um, so the frontline guys I've got a lot of miles on the clock but there are a lot of good miles on the clock but you're right to turn around and then go Craig Casey's starting at nine today and he slots in effortlessly Burn is going to start this is a guy that's been out for a couple of years mm-hmm. and wasn't really sure whether test rugby was going to be for him and all of a sudden here he is and he looks like he's alright in that system again that S words their system they're everyone that's sort of fitting in and it's just about them staying the path now because I'm not a great one for horse racing but you talk about guys that are leading from the uh, horses that are lead from the front and that's how they, they win races they've just got to lead right from the start well that's Ireland now they've got to do stay the course and it'll be fascinating to see if they've got it in them but character wise they've got the right people to do that it's just about seeing it through I think what what impresses me about them is that it's not been about 
can they maintain where they are? A player like Kalen Doris has, has taken his game on again. Someone like a, a character like Mac Hansen comes into you know, those of us who followed Ireland under Schmidt. It was so the system was everything, and Farrell is is, is evolving that a bit. And you, a character like Mac Hansen comes in, and and he he's an individual in in in, nature, in several senses, in, yeah. yeah, and yet it's it, he it works, it works, and I don't get the sense that that Ireland have hit number one in the world and have, have been on this on this run of form and they're now just trying to maintain. And I think that's critical, isn't it? We've we've seen Ireland before hit a height and then try and maintain. We've seen I mean England in 03 hit a height, had to try and maintain and they just did it. Yeah. It it actually feels through the course of this championship like Ireland are have hit the the height and and are still building, which is the perfect position to be in, isn't it? You're right. And England in, in 03 um they they peaked three about uh, three months before the World Cup within in Ireland, then they, they but they did manage to keep it up just in just enough to give Johnny Wilkinson the chance to drop the goal, you know, in the last second. So so that's what Ireland are going for. But also, I, I think they've been reinforced. I mean, they got Henshaw to come back. Ringrose is playing so much better than he was last year. Jo- uh, Ryan is playing so much better than he did last year. So they are, as you say, Alex, they're giving the team just this little little bits of up every now and again, mm. you know. So I, I look, I, I just think that's still think they win, they win the Grand Slam but the good thing is it's not guaranteed anywhere you know England, England could really go there and you know explode everything so we don't know we don't know well they have to go to Murrayfield first yeah absolutely which, which again I mean what a game that what is a game what that a is. game that is can I just, can I just can I go back one tiny bit because uh, with Italy the the attention is going to be massively on Wales then because if they lose that they're going to win the uh, they're going to be white could be whitewashed. I think it is a great chance. Al was saying about uh, Warren doesn't know where to pick the old guard the new guard out there. I think for the this is the first time I've ever said this. I think he's got to pick kids and let them go and 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 go out there with pride. I mean I think I think Wales have got people may not realise this. I think they got their centre partnership for the next five years in Joe Hawkins and 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 and, and Grady. If they go out there with with Tommy Raffle, Raffel, who should have played in the in, instead of um, instead of um, Tipperick, Tipperick. Tipperick, bring in Leon Brown, Dewey Lake if he's if he's fit, David Griffiths must start. I think they've got to play the t- next year's team against Italy and get them out there with pride and passion, play like the, the Finn Russell way, and have a, have a go that way. Because I think that Wales are now the underdogs. And and, and when have we ever said that? About an Italy Six no, Nations game. I agreed. Never, agreed. and and it, but that's as much to do with where Wales are, and it's a it's a fascinating point, that because Steve, you've always been in the Alan Hansen. You never win anything with the kids. Yeah, pick your best team for that's going to win this week. Yeah, but Wales are in a unique situation now because there was really no squad evolution. Yeah, st- uh, strategically, even even if you accept that there were some of the kids maybe didn't quite grasp it and they've had injury. The strategy meant that they, we've now got a, a stark Wales squad of hundred cappers and no cappers. Yes, yeah. And a couple of the hundred cappers will will make it to the World Cup. A couple may not. I think what what I'm trying to find through this process is he's not really picking a team for for this World Cup now. He's picking the next Wales team. And yeah. also for yeah. young guys, racking up wins isn't necessarily what's going to be the best thing for their development you got to have bumps in the road to become great players mm. so mm. you know them being right up against it this is probably the perfect time to throw them in but also Al it's no good racking up wins when you're not making develop but this time they got you've got to avoid the the, the uh, you've got to avoid a wooden spoon yeah with so no there's pressure as well 
Yeah. Do you think? Do you think? And I asked Warren Gatlin on Tuesday how much he he was aware of the the contractual situation, and he said not at all. And then he said, then he said, there's a, there's a few other things I wish I'd known. Now I, I'm pretty sure one of those is that that the WRU board, holier than thou board, would block Rob Howley's return, which yeah. I think is a disgrace yeah. from them. Yeah. He wanted Rob Howley back. Yeah. You just wonder how much Gatlin has has taken a nice fat paycheck and sat in the middle of it and gone, oh my goodness me, yeah, I know. look what I've, you know, he, I think he knew what he was leaving behind when he retired from Wales after the last World Cup. But he's there's a hell of a job there, and and there's a there's an expect he's gonna have to manage expectations too because they're gonna go to the, the World Cup and their starting fifteen at the World Cup should have a very very low number of caps because there's no point clinging on to, to some of them. Well, I still think that he will. I'll tell you one thing he didn't know. I, well, this is the only thing I know for a fact he didn't know. He didn't. He realises the regions were terrible. I don't think he realised how terrible they were. Some of this Welsh team have hardly been on the winning side in any game all season. So it's mm. not great for... not great. Oh, yeah, there's another one. That's not great for morale, is it? You know. So lo- long-range predictions. We'll, we'll have a, a full-on preview pod for this next week. But Italy-Wales then. If Italy go into that as favourites... Steve, you've got, have you got a sense of can Wales produce the performance <laughs> for the kids? It's so brilliant because if Italy go in as favourites, the mindset is totally different for them. Mm. Suddenly they're not the blood and thunder, we're downtrodden and all that. Very difficult. I think it'd be an incredibly tight game and incredibly exciting. I think actually Wales are sensible with the team. I think they'll probably just sneak it. I think we've got a round four of three fixtures that that you could, you could make a case could go either way. I mean... England, France, Scotland, Ireland. Yeah, I yeah. still, I'd, I'd still say that I agree with Steve. There's a, a bit of a, there's a bit of a gap between the top two, and I'd, I'd so I'd, I'd, if I was, you were asking me to put money on it, I'd put money on those two to, to come through and win. But it's not a foregone conclusion how tidily they will if they do. It'll be, you'd hope it'll be nip and tuck in a couple of them, and that's, it's great to say that, isn't it? Yeah, it's great because we've yeah. we've sat through some diabolical championships in the past, and I'll tell you what, this one has been to just be looking forward to a game in Rome and going, "Geez, which way is this going to go?" Is yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. I genuinely feel it's shaping up to be one of the best. And all, and also, whatever game you're covering or whatever game you, you you've gone out to watch, you're going to make sure you're there in time to watch the whole the whole thing, aren't you? To watch every game because it's just it's just fantastic. Absolutely right, gents. We need to round off. Round three of the Six Nations chat with our God or Goddess of the Week. Al, let's start with you. Have you, have you do you have a God or a Goddess? Uh, I, I was caught in two minds between a couple of characters and uh, one I think certainly should win it, but I'm going to go for the other just now and I'll explain why. Is I'm going to go for referee Nika Amashukeli. I thought the Georgian ref is absolutely brilliant at this this level of the game I think with my Scottish hat on I was maybe a bit frustrated at the start but I think actually on, on reflection on the whole the whole game I think he was he was exceptional I think he was had the right temperament for Scotland France even if he wasn't going to make a decision straight away and, and was talked around in some of them he made the right decision and he was open to that um, and I think he just I think we're going to see him for a long long time at the top level so he's he's my god of the week um, the other person that I think should get it I think Steve Jones might be naming him now he might well be right I I got to run it up I got to mention Finn Russell 
And the idea that next year, providing Bath exhumed themselves, we can see Finn Russell at close quarters and mums and dads can take their kids along to watch Finn Russell play is brilliant. But Ken Owens is my man. I was monitoring last week the awful week, the process of negotiation, crawling here, crawling there, reporting back, waiting while someone else reported back. Just what you want to do when you're playing England, that is, isn't it? In four in four days' time, I think I think I think Ken is um, Ken Owens is one of the great Welsh um, characters of all time, much loved, indomitable. I hated it to see that he was almost in tears at the end of the game. And whatever Wales got together, maybe it wasn't much, but whatever they stuck together with and whatever performances were still there, it was the he was the glue that that gave it to them. So Ken Owens is my hero and here, my here. god of the week. 100%. Yeah. Well, I think there's no argument there. I'll mentioning dispatches Lewis Ludlam for me because he's he's the kind of player I love to watch the, the, the attitude that he brings the way he plays the game it's that there are often few frills little razzmatazz but he is ab- he's the heart and soul of what England are trying to build at the moment and I'm I think he's had an enormous six nation so I would like to mention him in dispatches but I don't think anyone would argue on this panel that Ken Owens is no. the uh, is, is the man in a 100 percent agreement absolutely gents what a weekend we've had uh, fallow week to come now. Don't like fallow weeks. No, I don't like fallow weeks either. No. What, can we do, what should we do on Saturday? Uh, let's go to Rome. Yeah, Saturday. we should do. Yeah, that's, that's the new hub of the of the world, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gents, thank you very much, Al, Steve. Uh, we'll be back with a, uh, another big ruck next week. We'll be previewing round four of the Six Nations. Thanks for joining us. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.